Are you going to be like Rusty on Ocean's Eleven now? You're going to eat on every one of our podcasts? Like, you know, it's not easy, but every time you see him, eat something. You just want to rub in the bread. <laughs> no, it just so happens that every time I'm recording in the office, my wife brings me a plate of food. Uh, so, Meryl, the relations are good. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm enjoying this working from home thing. Welcome to the Financial Independence Garage, where we give you the tools to repair your finances and let you unfold the roadmap to financial independence. Drew that one out. I, yeah, you, really, you really took your time on that. Uh, some other added emphasis in there, and I tried to throw a word and it didn't quite work. Go back to the original. <laughs> hey, hey it's, uh, <laughs> it's happy hour on the weekend here on the West Coast, so it's Money Mechanic with you, as always. And I am the accountant. And I am the economist. Listen, boys. <laughs> yes. You're not going to be real happy with what I have to drink today on the show. Is it another Winnipeg beer? Because I swear I'm going to come over there and break quarantine and hit you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's even worse, actually. This is unbelievable that a beer survived at my house for, uh, I would say it's getting pretty close to 60 days now. This is from February when we were in San Diego. It's a San Diego beer, which I did bring back for you guys to drink, but we haven't seen each other since then. Wow. Wow. It continues to be incredible what's going on. I know, it's right? getting to be a bit ridiculous, really. <laughs> so, Which is, it's unheard of to have you a beer. You need a fridge with a safe component. It, yeah, that only we know the combinations to. Exactly. We need a safe in the garage that only <laughs> the economist and I know the combo to, so that you stop drinking all of our beer. That's a good idea. I like it. You provide yeah. the safe, and we'll lock your beers in there. <laughs> yeah. That's that's happening from now yeah. on. It's not a terrible idea. We'll look on the use sites and pick up a safe. Yes. Yeah. If yes, any listeners will. have a little safe they want to donate, we'll uh, keep the uh, economist and accountant beers in there. <laughs> okay, so what I have, though, it is a from St. Archer Brewing in San Diego, California. It is their hazy IPA. And the reason this lasted the longest of all the beers I brought back for us to share is it was the best. Probably the best that I had down there. So He's just rubbing just, it yeah. in. <laughs> Not it even says, trying anymore. No, 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 no. It says St. Archer Brewing Company was founded on a unique strain of creative talent, world-class brewers, artists, and musicians, surfers, skateboarders, and snowboarders all coming together with passion and commitment to express our collective true love, craft beer. We hope you taste our appreciation and gratitude in every sip. So there you go. I'm going to crack well, That's it great, but it told us nothing about that beer. It did. I just realized that after I read through it. It tells you nothing. <laughs> yeah. I will be uh, woefully inept to give you a, a full description either, but it is a lovely, hazy IPA, let me tell you. Well, I've got a, I actually don't even know what type of beer it is, but I got a Dave of the Dead from Love Shack. Dave of the Dead. Now, this is the brewer Dave, right? Yeah, the brewer's name is Dave, so he names a lot of his beers in relation to himself. So this is a Dave of the Dead, and we're about to see what it's like. You don't even know what style it is? I do not. I forget. Hmm. Nice. I've been saving it for a while. Oh, it's a porter. It's a porter? You know that just by looking at it? You don't think it might be a dark lager or... Uh, the nose is very portery. A, a stout? I don't think it's a stout. Sometimes it's tough to call between stouts and porters. No, oh, that's definitely a porter. Okay. Oh, that's good. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, so you're not quite as jealous anymore? No, I mean, I have my stash of Love Shack, so <laughs> at least I got that going for me. <laughs> what do you got, Economist? I have from 33 Acres Brewing in Vancouver, 33 Acres of Darkness. Ooh, oh, I yeah. didn't know we were doing a dark beer show. Turns out. <laughs> <laughs> Blurb? 
Yeah, I got a blurb. Not on the bottle because the bottle's just a picture of the moon or something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tough. Time. But on the website, if you're the type who likes to judge a beer by its color, 33 Acres of Darkness will surely surprise. While most equate heaviness with flavor, this Schwartz beer strives to bring tantalizing tastes beyond the usual weight. Inspired by the beer-drinking pleasures of Japan, this delightful lesson in a bottle or glass is our first flagship seasonal and will be available in our tasting room and select stock lists every dark night of the week. And I am, in fact, drinking out of a glass. Because <laughs> I don't trust the bottle. I know. Well, that's, I've switched. I don't drink out of cans anymore. I pour everything in a glass now. Yeah, it's kind of weird, eh? Yeah, it's like one last point of contact. Yeah, I suppose. And I got to tell you guys, I don't know if it's because this is the first beer I've had in a month or if it really is that good, but this is a, one of the best beers I've had on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to uh, say a little of column B, a little of column A. Uh, yeah, I was going to say equal proportions. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So here we are, physically distanced again, doing this over Zoom. So our apologies for our audio quality. But tonight, we figured we would follow up on the previous episode where we discussed, we figured we should discuss a little bit about debt because it's not really a topic that we ever talk about on the show. But you know, even for a lot of us that are on the path to financial independence at different points on the path, dealing with debt, whether it's mortgage, HELOC, or even consumer debt, if you've got car loans and things like that, it, it is a factor for many of us. So I figured we better dive into that a little bit because perhaps by not having any debt, that would have been the most prepared you could be at this point. Well, it's, pre it's pretty hard to go bankrupt if you uh, don't have any debt. It, well, exactly. You could starve though. You could. Well, absolutely. You could still starve. Yes. Yeah. But you could starve I, faster than somebody. No, maybe you couldn't starve faster than somebody. With I don't that. think, yeah, I don't think so. Well, I think one of the big things is not having any debt gives you the ability to reallocate your funds to the most, the absolute necessities. Yes. Right? So I don't know. Where do you guys want to take this? I mean, do we want to get into, like, we all know that consumer debt is a major problem in Canada. We, well, I'd like to think that our our the majority of our listeners have begun the path to conquering that, or that's one of their goals. Right. I, I don't think we can just say consumer debt. I think corporate debt, consumer debt, and government debt has been rising around the world for decades, and it could pose a major problem for us going forward. So is there a debt bubble? I'm not smart enough to speculate and tell you if there's a debt bubble or not, but a lot of smart people are certainly talking about how dangerous, how much debt the world is in right now. Economist, what are your thoughts on debt bubble? I mean, what happens when the debt bubble bursts? Scary to think about. Right? If there, in fact, is one. I mean, the other thing that we talked about last episode with bonds was the paltry rates of interest you're getting, but... At some point here, isn't somebody going to say the risk of all this debt is too high and people start demanding higher interest rates? And what happens to these large debt levels when people were used to servicing them at 2% and rates are now 6 or 7%? Don't they get written off because they can't pay them so they go bankrupt? Well, that's, that could be part of the whole problem, right? Yeah, well, there was, of course, I saw the, I was doing, I did a couple of Google searches and surprising there's not a whole lot that's current enough out there to read 
about the situation right now. You know, there's no point reading articles from January of 2020 because no. we're yeah. just in a different situation. The only okay. one I found was uh, it was a late March article on the Financial Post, and it it kind of annoyed me because it's one of those typical clickbait ones where it says 50% of Canadians are within $200 of being bankrupt or not being able to make pay their bills. Right. So right. right. Those always bother me because it comes back to the study, the sample size and things like that. I'm not going to harp on all of that, but I think we can probably agree as a generalization anecdotally that there's, this has increased, either increased people's debt, right? And they've had to take on new debt in this troubled right. time yeah, or it's decreased their ability to service their existing debts. Right. So the, those are probably the more important discussions to have. Well, and are people going to start realizing now that they're having to service debt in troubled times that maybe this debt that they didn't think was a big issue is a big issue? Well, right. But how much do you think that lowering interest rates offsets that? It offsets it. That's a good point. It psychologically offsets it too. Like we were, I mean, my mortgage rates come down because I'm variable rate. I mean, right. Don't you want to take out more debt? Well, well, seriously, <laughs> right? my the yeah. HELOC values come way down too, right? So it's like, yeah. wow, how can I not borrow on that right now? Like, exactly. You know, get get the money working. Let's go. That's <laughs> gamble. Come on. Yeah. Well, we should we should that get the accountant's hot take on what's going to happen with HELOCs in Canada. Don't get me started, or get me started. Either. Well, we're, hey, we're well, talking you're about started debt. now. It's yeah. all about debt. This fair game. Well, there's a whole bunch of people that I've heard moaning about the fact that banks are going to take away a whole bunch of people's lending as a credit crunch ensues. And I've read a couple different articles about saying how you know that HELOC that you were planning on using as your emergency fund might disappear because the bank no longer wants to extend it. And HELOCs are, of course, callable. Technically, right. yes. Technically, but there's also the fact of if you have always paid all your bills and you continue to pay all your bills and you have sources of income and are employed, there's absolutely no reason for the bank to take away that HELOC. You're one of the people actually paying. Right. They want that money coming back in. Why would they call it and cause problems for themselves? Or why would they start shrinking? You know, like say you're a doctor and you've got a $300,000 line of credit and you've got great income and a steady job. They're not going to suddenly shrink your HELOC because there's a credit crisis. Are all HELOCs callable? Technically, yeah. Technically. Yeah. That's probably something we should have talked about in our HELOC episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we, did, we did cover that. We did say that. But it's just it's so, it's so unlikely for it to happen. It's just a, it's in the fine print that you, the bank can recall that debt if they want it. Right. Right? I mean, but you have to think about what's the fallout from that. Oh, it's massive. The bank also has to know that, hey, if I'm going to recall your HELOC, there's a good chance you don't have that kind of money sitting around. So I'm essentially Absolutely. forcing you into delinquency. Right. Yeah. Not a good strategy, but... Not a great strategy at all from their but, point. But even if it's a bad strategy, you wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of a bad decision by the bank. No, you would not. That right. would be a bad place to be. Yeah. The thing is with, with debt is it has so many layers we only see our personal statements, whether it's what we owe for a car payment, a credit card, your mortgage, or your HELOC. Right. You may owe all of that to a big five bank, and that's where it ends. But there's a lot of other secondary and tertiary lenders that get involved in this system. Yes. Especially, like, let's not even go into the corporate side of things right now for lending on that. But like, my mortgage isn't with a big five bank. 
but surely somewhere down the line, there's a big five bank involved in backing the company that I'm borrowing from. Right. Lending to the company you're borrowing from. Exactly. Right. Right. So the question is, is like the impact of my ability to pay debt impacts the smaller lenders that then goes further up depending on how many people are having or having to defer. Right. Right. Because basically by deferring, that larger lender, the, the first lender to me has to go, okay, we need to defer to the bank or come up with some sort of agreement with, with them, right? Yeah. And that's, that's why governments have been injecting so many different liquidity measures to keep the whole lending system solvent so that you don't have that ripple effect. That's right. I thought it was to ruin my, my recession. Well, it's well that, that too. That too. Yeah. <laughs> They, they heard the show and they knew The Economist has been waiting for a recession to invest. So. Yeah, right. Yeah. But coming back to HELOCs, I think what we'll see, and this is just my opinion, and again, the show is for entertainment purposes only and is just our opinions. I wouldn't be surprised to see some tightening of you know, your loan to value that you're allowed to qualify for, like the amounts yep. and the uses of it. Yeah, I sent you guys a copy of... Um, Debt free in thirty. They talked about how we used to, and this is, I think, a big impact for our community. The FI is like, hey, I I refinanced to get a HELOC so that I would have the opportunity to use that equity as an investment. And the discussion revolved around the possibility that certain lenders were not going to allow you to use your HELOC as your down payment for a rental property. Right. Okay. I mean, it could happen. And I, I think it'll depend on the lender too. Couldn't you give your brother a check for 10 grand and then get him to gift you 10 grand? Cannot be gift from family. Gifts can only be used as a down payment if it's a gift from family and it is going to be your personal residence. Primary residence. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, you know, rolling that into our sort of debt discussion here is many of us have been aggressively paying down our mortgages to lower mm-hmm. our debts, but now the rate technically, if you're variable, or even maybe the question is, is it time to look at a refi if you're not a variable, depending on what, when you locked in at? What but are long-term rates like? Uh, I'm variable as well. So I'm not I'm like, are you talking like a five-year fixed? Well, why would you refinance if you're variable? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. But some people thought they were locking in good rates in five-year fixed at right. 28 and now you could probably get one for two. Yeah. So if you're in a, if you're in a high cost of living area with a big mortgage, that's substantial difference over time. Yeah, but sure. you're going to have to also look at what are your refi costs. costs. Is yeah. it going to be worthwhile? Yeah. But- oh, totally. Yeah, let's not get too far off track on that. But my point was there's like many of us in the FI space are aggressive mortgage pay down people. But right. now from a debt point of view, it's like carrying that debt's looking like a way better option. Free money. Yeah, well, especially if we can't use that HELOC equity that we've been building up to then buy a rental property that we want to have for cash flow. Right. Now, right. could you transfer your HELOC to a high-interest savings account and wait two months? No, they track where the money came from. Well, that was the, I'm not saying this is happening, okay? So let's not yeah. get too carried no, it, But this was the, the direction of the discussion on that yeah. show was like, yeah. these are potential lenders. And that's, again, I'm not saying every lender is going to do this, but certain lenders yeah. are going to look at the source of your down payment and right. say, we're not going to accept it because we haven't actually looked at what your debt service ratio is now. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what it boils down to. Yeah. Yeah. And I, the one thing I do think is it probably will become harder 
for the foreseeable future to qualify for loans. You think all loans or I just, I can't see a world in which it doesn't become a little, you know, like they're probably going to start asking for more, more information, right? Like how secure is your job? How secure, you know, with everything right. going on, like it's natural. It's a riskier time right now. The bank's risk management. Especially division. if they're not earning interest on your loan. Yeah. I mean, they are still earning interest at roughly the same spread, but it's all about the spread, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is. So they're still earning similar interest, but I kind of think you're right, accountant. Yeah. That- so I've got a question along those lines for you then, economist, if you can spitball a number. And again, this is our the show drinking beer. So don't take this as anything that we've, uh, <laughs> we, we are not experts, but do you know, do you have any idea what a typical spread is? Like right now, if I'm paying 2% on my mortgage, what's right. my, what's my lender paying to the next level of lending? Well, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, if, if they're dealing with the bank of Canada, they're paying 0.75, right? So they're getting the 1.25. Right. But if your lender has to go through a bank, right. Then the bank's going to throw some markup on there. Right. Um, right. So when you're talking about that earlier, I was wondering, well, do you think you're at a bigger risk of having your HELOC recalled than if you were at a big bank? Because maybe some, there are less people they've lent to. Some of them go under. They need to get money to service their loans. Right. I don't necessarily think that's true, but it's something to think about. Right. Yeah. No, I agree especially with that. if they're spread smaller. And I don't know if it is or not. Right. Well, I think it's right. just an interesting point that I never really think of it in those terms of the they're still making the same money because of that spread. Right. Right. They're, they're yeah. just doing the arbitrage between the loan they get from Bank of Canada and what they can charge me. Now, that's not entirely true because some of the lending is going to be from money held in their saving account. Right. Okay. Right. Fair. So, and the money multiplier on that, which expands drastically right. what you're making. Absolutely. So there, the spread doesn't come into play. It's all the interest rate they're charging. So there, now they're making less money on that loan. And so they're less tolerant to risk on it, probably. I would assume. Yeah. The other thing is it's all fairly obvious. I mean, no, I guess not. I was going to say that the rate difference... Anyway, we're getting into the weeds here a little bit on <laughs> you can, rates Whenever and spread, you confuse but... yourself, you, you just jump to a new topic, right? That's generally what I try to do. Yeah. <laughs> if I say what I'm going to say, I'm going to look stupid or sound stupid. Time to move on. That's <laughs> what we're on. here for. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, you know what? We're not afraid to ask the dumb questions. <laughs> no. And we're not... If we were afraid to give the dumb answers, we wouldn't be drinking the beer. That's right. Yes, yeah. that's <laughs> very true. Now, I mean... In terms of changing topics, here's another one for you on the debt front. I mean, we've just been talking about maybe now's the time to refinance because your debt's so cheap, but is there a more secure position to be in when the world goes to shit than somebody with no debt? Somebody with a farm? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's that's reasonable. Uh, On an island? A farm on an island. Farm on an island does seem like a good option. With with a battery. (laughs) Solar panels. Solar yeah. panels, yeah. And well, it, okay. Even if it just had a lake and a stream, right? Yeah, yeah you put electricity yeah. from water, you got water. Yeah. Anyway, that's um, no, you're right. I mean, having zero debt. So, in this low rate environment that we find ourselves in now, how much of an aggressive push should you make to become debt free on your path to FI? Because, as we've seen, not having any kind of payments go out for consumer and or mortgage debt would make you make your fine number a little less, wouldn't it? 
Well, it would. And could you afford, if you have no debt, you know, if you ha- own a house and it's paid off entirely, all you got to do is pay utilities, property taxes, and buy some food and you can theoretically get by, especially yep. in quarantine lockdown mode right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So your expenses are going to be at an all-time low. And then does that leave more room for you to make some riskier investments in other areas because you've taken away a whole ton of risk on terms of your minimum monthly payments for things? Interesting. I was almost thinking you were making an argument for home ownership over renting, but then you're just investing the money anyhow. So, But I mean, this is one time, right? Where if you're somebody who has a paid off house, how much do you really need to live per month right now? Yeah, not much. The basics. Can't spend any money. Can't spend any money. So you need, again, you need to pay your property taxes, you need utilities, and you're going to need to buy some food and maybe some insurance. It can't, you yeah. can't, I think that would be where you can get your expenses down to the lowest possible level. Sure. So in terms of somebody, if you're super risk adverse and you were one of those people who said, I just want to have no debt, I want to make my expenses as small as possible because I have, I hate any form of risk. That's probably the best position to be in right now. Yeah. Well, I could probably make an argument that being debt free is the best position to be in at all times. Well, but then what's the opportunity cost you're missing out on, on the upside? Yeah. I mean, isn't the spread. Also known as your net worth more important than being debt-free? I would argue that way because I'm comfortable right. with that. But as somebody who's not comfortable with it, the easy, like somebody who's very risk-averse, the, most yeah. risk, the best position to be in in that scenario then would be to de- be debt-free entirely, mm-hmm. would it not be? You got to find somebody that risk-averse to ask. Yeah, I need they're, to find... They're, they're not here. They're not. There's <laughs> nobody on this call that uh, is that risk-averse. Yeah. Well, I think it brings up an interesting question for the current situation, right? Because many people out there have probably changed a little bit of what their risk tolerance is to their investments, what they realize is their minimum required spend. I mean, we're probably having a little closer look at what our grocery spending looks like and things like that now because we've gotten rid of all that, the going out and all that other stuff that we forget about for a lot of us that aren't super good spending trackers. But that comes back to the question is, now that my mortgage rate is so low and we've gone through this situation, am I more inclined to pay it off? Or do I look and go, it's so cheap. Why wouldn't I just continue to invest even without using more leverage or taking on more debt? instead of making aggressive paydowns, just use that to invest now. I mean, is that, do you, is that what you're saying is the psychology of people's will have changed during this event to say, no, I really want to pay down debt now? Yeah. And well, I mean, it's a cash flow thing, right? Yeah, totally it is. So, and I mean, I think yeah. it's, that's one of the things is a lot of people, they look at numbers and they look at net worth and returns. And, but at the end of the day, you have to have more dollars coming in than are going out. Mm-hmm. And being debt-free makes that and easy. And there's a right? lot of ways to accomplish that, but being debt-free makes that easier because it's taking away a big chunk of what's going out. It's probably the simplest way to do that. The simplest way because you look at, okay, well, now we've had some dividend cuts or i not getting paid rent from a couple people in a rental property that can't pay rent. You know, like that money coming in, maybe a bunch of it's being constrained, but the money going out, it's not changing. Yeah. Unless like I have a variable rate mortgage, which actually changes my mortgage payment when mortgage rates go down. Mm-hmm. 
you can do a flex variable or a steady variable where you have a variable rate, but your payment stays the same. And you can do one where you have a payment that fluctuates with the interest rate. Right. So when things go bad, if you have a changing payment and rates drop, well, then less is going out the door every month, which is advantageous. But Yeah, but really, I mean, is that small amount going to really change whether you make it or you don't? Probably not. But I mean, my mortgage payment has dropped $400 a month yeah. on my rental property with mm-hmm. the Bank of Canada cuts. Right. That's not nothing. No. As you like to say. It's $400. <laughs> It all depends on how much you're financing and and what your terms are and things like that. But we could probably generalize for $200,000 mortgage, you're going to be paying $1,000 to $1,500 a month, maybe more, depending, right? But basically, you're saying is you would no longer require that cash flow. You don't need that cash coming in anymore if it's gone, right? Right. But this this comes back to the, the math that we can beat around in circles all the time because you've got to make some assumptions and you say, well, yeah, if you aggressively paid that off how at low rates, what did you give up in returns? Well, that's the big question, right? Yeah. Right. And I mean, we, we never get to the right answer. <laughs> like, I'll we get, agree. We, back, we get back to the age old personal finance is personal. It's personal. Yeah. Well, I think we should add that as personal finance is psychological. Absolutely. Right. That's really what we're talking about here. I think I don't think anybody could argue that having any form of consumer debt is like an emergency. Yes, right? that's an emergency. If absolutely. You're, if you're sitting there right now looking out your window right. at two car payments, it's got to hurt a little bit. Yeah, I can't yeah. imagine how stressful that would be in a time like this. Hopefully, you've got your emergency fund set up. You can manage all your plan. costs. Emergency plan. plan. <laughs> no, I'm sticking to fund. <laughs> I'm sticking to fund. I got it. One of us has to disagree once in a while. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's like lots of people have that, and that's fine. That's just the way it is. But I think these kind of situations might bring some clarity into the into the bit into the bigger picture. And be like, hey, yeah, those are two payments we wish we didn't have. We have to have them. Maybe there's another way we can go about doing them. Right. Yeah. Pay them right. off. Yeah, maybe you should be putting those on your HELOC now instead of car payments if it's really cheap, if you've got one. Right. Just make sure if you're investing in your HELOC and it's totally separate. (laughs) Yes. I guess also in terms of security, like people always talk about growing the gap between what you bring in and what goes out. Yeah. In bad times, generally that gap's going to shrink. So having it as big as possible is going to protect you as much as possible when things go rough. So we're against debt. Well, Unless we want some debt. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not personally against debt. I absolutely say a reasonable amount of debt is good. Don't 10x your debt because then you might go bankrupt like uh, Mr. Grant Cardone did, who was the author of 10 Exit. Oh, so it was, like, was that all like a lever- leveraging strategy? No, it's a book and he's one of those uh, guru guys and he wrote the 10x rule, which is essentially you need to 10x whatever you're doing, like 10x the assumptions you're making 10x everything but i guess he 10x his debt and then lost his private jet and his penthouse and all that stuff so So we're for debt (laughs) (laughs) we love it unless it's bad (laughs) yeah but that's the thing is like we've said before on the show and we can't contradict ourselves that leveraging to invest is not a bad strategy if you understand how to do it properly and you're comfortable with the debt service like what you have to do to and you're willing to accept the risk that's right but and and having appropriate 
equity to back the debt. And having an appropriate emergency plan. Fund. <laughs> <laughs> then why don't you just invest the fund? <laughs> well, and that, that gets interesting too. Well, we won't even get into that no, because it's no, like ha- having cash on hand could be a detriment to your returns as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At, exactly. a, at a certain point. So we're both for and against debt. Well, no, I think that I, you're you know, really trying to come to a conclusion. Yeah. Because right? <laughs> we got the 10 minute Zoom warning. He's like, well, okay, wrap her up. <laughs> I, there's, there's more from last episode I want to get into. Like, why the account? How is the accountant's bread? Oh, yeah. How was the bread? Delicious. Yeah. You know what's pissing me off? What? <laughs> All these people who decided making bread's a good idea because now it's harder for me to make bread that I've been making for, well, not me, but the lawyer's been making for. Years <laughs> can't find flour and yeast There's anymore. No flour anymore. Oh, I got lots of flour and yeast. <laughs> oh, you're hoarding. No, I just <laughs> had some, and then I realized that I had it, so I started making bread because I'm at home all day. Only amateurs use yeast. Okay, I've got a whoa, bit of a, whoa. <laughs> I've got a bit of a, a gripe here to air. I'm pretty sure that waiting in line for going to you know grocery stores and things like that is kind of going to be the new norm for quite a while. But it's really, really hurting my efficiency because <laughs> yes. it's been one of the things that I've always tried to do, you know, when I have to go around town is like, you make sure you hit all the spots in one trip. I go at the lowest peak shopping hours. I go at the lowest peak travel times. So it's like the most efficient time and it's really messing with me. Well, but that's great. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do in coronavirus time. Well, exactly. All but those my- things. But my grocery store stopped being open 24 hours, so I'm ah. limited to its availability now. Right. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not bitching about the grocery store by any means because they're doing a fantastic job. And thanks to all those people that are still working on that. But I'm just saying in life in general, because I, I had a little household project I wanted to tackle. And I thought, ah, should I go to Home Depot? I really don't want to, but I need some parts. I didn't even go in. There was a huge lineup outside and, and, you know, just forget that. I can wait. It's not that big an issue. But I think that's just going to be a bit of a new norm, right, is having to wait for certain shopping things. There's a grocery store right by the Home Depot. You're correct. I couldn't wait in both lines, though. No, but you could pay somebody (laughs) to wait in one line. And then you would save time by using your money. Uh, I'd have to pay off their Home Depot card, though, that they're paying 20% (laughs) interest on. Hopefully not all of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we didn't even get we didn't even get into that discussion on debt is all the the cards that are offered by, you know, the Home Depots of the world and the Canadian tires like that. How is that going to impact them if all the customers that are still spending are still spending on credit? I think earnings is going to be super interesting for the second quarter. I I think for the next year or two, earnings are going to be pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I think because there is so much credit and so much debt out there that we're going to see continued stimulus from from the governments of Canada and the U.S., right? Because it's the only way to maintain this debt service ratio that many Canadians have. Well, and one of the businesses that I work with has long-term contracts and long-term debt obligations. Right. And so they haven't been affected at all yet because all of their contracts are in existence from six months ago, but they're having problems now booking new contracts into 2021. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's going to be like, this isn't going to end magically when everybody gets let back out of into the world yeah, it might. because there's, it might, 
but there there could be some long-term effects on businesses like that where they're they're not going to run into any debt issues for the next nine to 12 months. And that's when they're going to start seeing the pain. Yeah, no, you're right. The effects are, we're going to feel them. There's no doubt about it. You know, it's interesting because so many of us are just focused on personal debt, whether most of us think of it as, as mortgage or consumer debt, but we haven't even get into the, there's a gigantic subject of all corporate lending and corporate debt. I mean, most businesses have debt. That's how they function, whether it's there for, inventory or property or, or whatever it is. It's just a function of how you run a business. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, operating that's the second time you brought common. it up. Is it? Yeah. What are you talking about? You, you mentioned it earlier when you're talking about government debt. Uh, anyway, getting back to the corporate lending that I was briefly mentioning without going down the rabbit hole, I wanted to ask you guys, and we've talked about it on our alternative investment episode. We all have a little bit of cash in lending loop. And I've noticed that I still only have one that is in very, very late, but they haven't defaulted yet. Right. They're still really hopeful, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I've noticed that as I last checked a few days ago, I have 12 positions that are in the grace period now. I am, uh, I think about 40% of my loans are now in the grace period. That's yeah. a much more re- or useful measure than 12. Yes. That's okay. why I okay. went with a percentage. Uh, well, that's why he's an accountant. I'm a mechanic. I want to know how many parts are in the helicopter. Not yeah. percentage of the parts are broken. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So 12 loans for me, just going spitballing off the top of my head, I would say that's about 30%. Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm a little lower than 30% and I have more loans than either of you, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, Which says a couple things. One, there's definitely a problem with late payments. And yeah, two, yes. attempting to pick the right loans doesn't sound like it's working out. <laughs> <laughs> now, what the factor that I found is, because I went through and analyzed what all my late loans are, every single one of them is a food service business. Right. Right, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, part of me is also wondering, like, is as a platform, will Lending Loop look at it and say, we understand you're a food service business that had to shut down. We're just going to defer payments for the next four months so that you're able to start up again and possibly repay this loan. You'd think so. Cause it's not their money. It's ours. Yeah. I mean, that would be the pr- like even as a lender, right? I would rather them try to do that than us just get nothing right now and drive the person bankrupt. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now coming out the other side of this, by the way, Okay. Nice analysis, very deep. Mine? No, the accountants. Oh, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, very, very in depth <laughs> analysis. <laughs> you had to do a lot of digging for that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, clearly I wasn't listening because I was thinking about what I was going to say next. So <laughs> go ahead. I was just going to pivot on that and think coming out of the, the other side of this. I was just thinking back to the accountant was mentioning, he was watching an American TV station not that long ago, and like there's companies are now offer, offering like no payment financing yeah. for six, 12 months, whatever it's going to be. How does that impact our personal debt situation when all of a sudden you put off that car you were planning or thinking about? And I was like, hey, no payments for a year. It's getting yeah. a little scary. Yeah, well, isn't, isn't that very similar to the balloon payments on the subprime mortgage crisis in the U.S.? 
right? Oh, hey, you've only got to pay a small percentage for the first two years, and then your payment's going to balloon to five times what it currently is. Right. I mean, Van City just said no interest on credit cards. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? Wow. So that's great until you rack up the max on your credit card and then can't pay it back. And then you're sitting at 22% once interest starts kicking in again. Yeah, Yeah. that's scary. And I think this is kind of what we alluded to before was is like we talked about like we're just sort of kicking the can down the road. How far? Okay, I got the conclusion. (laughs) Okay. We're for debt as long as you have a plan for your debt. Is that right? Uh, It is okay to be in debt as long as you have a plan to pay it off unless it's consumer debt, in which case, shame on you. <laughs> okay, well, I'm- You should I'm, make a bumper sticker. <laughs> Very catchy, it'll sell. Yeah, I thought so. I think you added in just enough at the end there, but yeah, I think we can, we prob- I think we'll all agree, and I think the FI community in general will agree that consumer debt as a whole is an emergency. Yes. Right? But I won't say that if you have to use it, I mean, we've all got credit cards. If you have to use it, you have to use it. And that's okay. Right. As long right. as you've got a plan. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like you're not, you're off work. You need to use your credit card. That's why you've got a credit card to use credit. Yeah. But res- I use mean, it responsibly, obviously. Putting the new swimming pool in the backyard because your kids <laughs> are at home all day driving you credit crazy on the credit card. That's not a have to. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. But I mean, that's why we have credit. That's why it exists is to use it when you need to use it, right? From a consumer standpoint. Right. Yeah. Right. But, you know, as responsible financial citizens, the plan is to pay off the consumer debt as quickly as possible. Yes. And then we have to differentiate the discussion is completely, it's a complete different discussion when we talk about borrowing to invest. Mm-hmm. I mean, there'll be, is mortgage debt good debt or bad debt? It's a consumer debt, isn't it? You're consuming your house. Is it a personal residence or does it provide you some income? Yeah, it's a personal residence. I still don't think it's consumer debt, though. I mean, you're right. It is. Technically, it, if you want to argue. Absolutely is. It is. Yeah, it is. But yeah. it's, it's, it's necessary. Uh, I guess you could argue it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's as there's necessary. Lots of, there's lots of places you can rent. Well, it's as necessary as a rent payment is my point. Right. But some portion of, okay, so... You can chop your mortgage up into, okay, I could live in the cheapest apartment in town for X dollars, and then mortgage payment minus X is consumer debt. Well, I think the accountant made a good point earlier on where he said the ultimate uh, safety is to not have any mortgage payment, right? Because you can never not have a rent payment. Right. That was kind of the basis of his argument there. Yeah. Is we, we'll, I'll definitely, we've gone through that rent versus own argument before. Yeah. But it's like, is debt... And I'm sure we will again. Yeah, well, it's like... (laughs) Well, here's here's my question to end the episode. Is is debt so cheap on mortgages and HELOCs now that is it worth paying it off to have that security? Why would you pay it off when it's cheap? It's my point. Yeah. Why would you? uh, I'll caveat that with what is your income security level? Yeah. Hey, personal finance is psychological. (laughs) If you're in a bad... If you think your income is not secure, wouldn't you save extra so you could continue making payments after you lose your income rather than pay down debt? If you were being prudent, absolutely. Yeah. So, well, okay. I mean, that's those are the steps, right? Is mm-hmm. you know, on your beginning, your path to FI is you pay off consumer debt. That's an emergency. 
then you build an emergency fund or plan. <laughs> I'll go with fund. For, if you're at the yeah. point you're building yeah. a fund, and we talked about that, is you build a fund first, and later on you can have a plan. That come on, yeah, that come works. on. I mean, it depends when you're. I'll allow it. When you're starting your <laughs> FI journey, I think. Yeah. If you're starting your FI journey when you have a house that's fifty percent paid off, you don't need an emergency fund necessarily. I've always thought that if you can fill your TFSA every year, and presuming you don't have some form of RSP matching or pension at work, if you can max your TFSA, if you can get some money into RSPs to lower your tax, your um, payable taxes substantially, you know, if it, if it's worth it, if it's worth it. Yeah. If you can get those two done and you can get some extra payments down on your mortgage, you're golden. Like that's kind of like the golden triangle for doing the best you can using living below your means and, and investing, right? If you've got more left over to go into non-registered, great. Awesome. Good for you. The golden triangle for home. Homeowners. <laughs> Homeowners. Yeah. yeah. TFSA, RSP to drop tax bracket, and additional mortgage pay down. Nice. I mean, it's aggressive, right? That's pretty aggressive for most yeah, of them. Yeah, for sure it is. For you know, sure. If, if it's yeah. two of you, that's that's 12 grand into a TFSA that you got to come yeah. up with a grand a month in savings, and then you got to come up with some extra mortgage payment, and then you got to come up with some RSP. So mm-hmm. if, if anybody's doing that, that's, hey, high fives. Those are awesome mm-hmm. things, right? But then, yeah. at least, then at least you're getting a little bit of all of those benefits. Sure. Right? Because yeah. if you just go 100% of that savings goes against your mortgage, well, you're losing the compounding tax-free of having them in the RSP or TFSA. Well, and if your mortgage is at 2%, yeah, exactly. that's not a great return on your money. No. But there's also a lot of psychological value to paying down that mortgage. Depending what your personality type is like. (laughs) Which I think this whole thing is really going to get... I think there's a lot of people that said they were very comfortable with debt and they were very comfortable with risk that are realizing that in fact they are not. Yeah, I think that's that's a great that that is a or good point. or the flip side of that that they said they were very comfortable with those things and they've seen all of this happen and they're going yeah I made the right call I am really comfortable with that so I mean my beer is empty <laughs> well this is when we go to the beer fridge and get a second one but now yeah. that we're physically distanced we're just uh, how was that uh, planet thirty three thirty three acres sorry it was it's not thirty three something yeah <laughs> thirty three acres of darkness is delicious. And that was a stout? Schwartz beer. Oh, a German dark beer. Yeah. Ah, nice. That was the porter. I don't know if that's exactly what it was, but that too will be in the show notes. I recommend a Day of the Dead anytime you can get your hands on one. <laughs> Which you probably can't because the guy brews in small batches out of like his garage, right? Out of a garage-like facility, yes. Yeah, well, like that kind of size. Like it's a commercial, yes. it's a, it's a, a, we call those nano breweries. It is definitely a nano brewery. Well, but man, is it good. Cheers to that. And uh, my last San Diego beer. And hey. Don't want to hear it. <laughs> All right, well. No, it wasn't very good. Yeah, I know, I know. Thanks again for listening. And yeah, hopefully you are surviving uncertain times. And yeah, I think we've all, kind of thought and rethought about our debt and hopefully it's all uh, under control and part of your bigger plan. Amen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Good Thanks, episode guys. boys. We'll, uh, we'll do this again soon. See you next time.